pray amen. And as you're seated, uh, t- take your copy of God's Word and turn to Galatians chapter 5. If you do have children, 3 and 4, and they would like to attend our junior uh, worship, they are uh, dismissed to uh, participate with that. Uh, it could be Galatians chapter 5, and today we're going to start a new series um, new sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit, focusing on a couple verses out of Galatians 5 and working through those over the, the course of the summer. Um, one thing I'm going to be doing um, just personally is to read a book by Jerry Bridges called The Fruitful Life. Uh, we have copies of this out on the book table out there. If you'd like to pick up one for yourself, um, as well as a couple other books that go through the fruit of the Spirit. You may find it hopeful, helpful for your own reading as you go through uh, this summer, as you follow along in these uh, sermon uh, times. So, but again, we'll be in Galatians chapter 5. Uh, turn your Bible there uh, so that you can follow along with the cases made there inside the Scripture. Did I mention we have Bibles in the foyer if you need one? Please pick one up um, as, as you need any morning and even this morning. So Galatians 5, I'm going to start in verse 13 to read through 26. This is the word of the Lord. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Would you pray with me? God, we are dependent on you, uh, Father, for spiritual, anything spiritual to happen in our lives. We're not the source, you're the source. Your word is a source of life for us. And so, God, would you minister to us out of your word, uh, creating in us what you desire to see there. Father, turning us away from sin, turning us towards you. It's totally a spiritual work, not geared on any person's eloquence, not geared um, even on our own diligence, but Father, it's a spiritual work that has to happen. And so we ask that you would do that. We're just totally dependent on you for it. And so we ask you to be present with us in this ministry, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, this is springtime, and since it is springtime, I want to talk about thorns, and I want to talk about fruit. Um, and that's because I think that those two words do a good job of explaining what we see in this passage. There's two sets of qualities which are described in the passage, and the first set of qualities are the negative ones. And you saw them verses 19 through 21. I'm going to call those the thorns. They're the thorns of an unspiritual life. And last night, I was thinking about this last night as I went in my backyard, I was looking for a little bit of downtime after the uh, service for Beth Lee yesterday. And I just said, you know what, why don't I trim some bushes and uh, just kind of trim off some of these dead branches. And, and the one that I had to trim off particularly um, was this beautiful dark red bush and it had all these dead branches in the middle. I just needed to trim off some of the ones in the middle. Um, but man, it was painful. You know why? It was full of thorns. See, Kim's nodding his head because he, he planted them probably. Um, you know, and, and they're really perfectly placed, these bushes, because, you know, if somebody, a thief wanted to hide somewhere, they'd say, well, let me hide behind the bush. Well, they're not going to hide behind this bush. Uh, there's a lot of pain in, in pruning that. Well, just as this bush has its thorns on it, uh, so there are negative, thorny behaviors uh, that, that, that people carry inside of their lives, and they're listed in the passage. If you look at verse 15, you see some of them described biting and devouring. If you look at verse 26, at the end of it, all the way at the end, it describes conceit, provocation, and envy. These are some negative thorny behaviors. And then in the middle there, verses 19 through 21, you see a longer list of negative behaviors, right? And, and verse, in verse 19, it gives these a name. And can you see the name it gives to it in verse 19? You know, kind of a summary description. It calls them the deeds of the flesh. Now, I'm not going to spend time going through each one in detail, but I think it's helpful to look at the big categories that are there of some of these behaviors. Uh, the first one is uh, sexual corruption, matters of sexual corruption. You can see the list of them if you just look through there. Sinful behaviors which are contrary to God's design for sexuality, things that lead to, to, to self-degradation, uh, things that take advantage of others, uh, things that are corrupt from God's design of marriage. We're reminded that we are created in the image of God. We're created for, to use our body, to use our time, um, and all the energies we have to represent God's faithfulness to represent God's holiness, his goodness in this world. And when it comes to sexuality, God has given us marriage as that proper place for that beautiful expression of, of sexual intimacy. You know, in the words of the Mandalorian, this is the way. It's the way that God has given to us, and it is a, a good way. And so as a person participates in these sinful sexual behaviors, like they're described here, there's a degradation of the image of God, and there's a degradation of the image of God in others. And so it's no surprise that you know, guilt and pain connected with these things often leads people to come to Jesus Christ for forgiveness and for redemption, for new life. They, we see the damage it does. We feel the damage it's done to us. And there's a cry out to God. Now, you know, these things, again, they're not fruit. These are, these are thorns. And uh, they're, they're things that God leads us away from and leads us 
to himself in forgiveness and in grace. He offers help and helps in the body of Christ as we struggle with those things. So that's the first thing we see. Uh, the second thing we see if we categorize them, first is matters of sexual corruption. The second things we see are matters of false worship. And it's really not a surprise that right after or right intertwined with these matters of sexual corruption, you'd also see matters of false worship. And that's because as people turn away from um, God's design of, of uh, sexuality, they'll look for ways to justify that turning away of God-given sexuality. And that's the creation of false gods, false idols who will promote them in those things. And as those false gods and idols are adopted and worshipped, you know, we find that they also can tend to encourage behaviors which are outside of God's design of marriage and human intimacy. And so, you know, these false gods do not require the holiness that God requires in this. And so, again, it's not a surprise that it would be an intertwining of false worship together with the uh, sexual the, uh, behaviors of sexual corruption, right? Leading people farther and farther away from God, leading people deeper and deeper into sin, deeper and deeper into thorns, and also dividing people against one another. That's not fruit. That's thorns. So the third category that we might set here are the matters of interpersonal conflict. You see in the envy and the rivalries and the anger, some of the violent outbursts which end up separating one person from another, isolating themselves, offending others, disunity within the group, and as this hatred spews out or jealousy spews out, it is, again, a sin against God and the image of God in them. Again, not fruits, but this is thorns. So that's the first list that we see there. But let's look, take a minute and let's look at that second list that's there, the, the second thing that's described, and that's the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. We'll talk about that in verses 22 and 23. Let me read through that list again. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We're going to spend our uh, summer looking at those different qualities. But just as we get an overview today, you know, we might want to say, well, which one of those two qualities do we want to be part of our life? Do we want the verses 19 through 21 or do we want verses 22 through 23? Now, I believe that almost everyone wants to have 22 and 23 in their life. I mean, everyone likes to think those are part of their life. People like to think that other people think that these are a part of my life. And one of the you know, aspects of unbelief that happens in our world is when people think, well, I can have the second list in my life and also dally in the first part of the list thinking that these two things are somehow connected or can somehow coexist. They just can't. You know, these are two um, contrary um, systems. There's thorns and then there is fruit. And so, you know, as these thorns grow up inside of our lives or in someone's life, it ends up in bad relationships, it ends up in bad feelings, it ends up in big problems, it ends up in big conflicts, there's social problems, personal problems, and, and those things come as a result of the thorn. We want the fruits. We don't want the thorns. 
You know, these, these thorns, they, they drive people off. Isn't that the point of thorns? Like, watch out. Don't come close. God, I don't want you here. Other people, I don't want you here. I don't you know, want you there. And so they, they do drive. They drive people away. They create divisions. But fruit, what does fruit do? Fruit draws in. Fruit nourishes. Fruit connects. Now, the big question we want to look at today is how do we make that fruit a part of and a greater part of our lives? And we're reminded, even as we read this, that it's not something that happens automatically. And as much as we might desire those things, is that we see that they are not qualities that we live out as consistently as we should or that we want. And how do they become ours? Now, the world tells us that you just need to be yourself. Just be yourself. Believe in yourself. Just, just be yourself, and these things will come out. But this often ends up to be an excuse for the worst unspiritual qualities in each one of us. There's a book, a leadership book, that I just can never shake the title of because it just is it, so poignant to me. And the leadership book was called, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. And the whole idea of the book is that sometimes people say, you know what, um, I've achieved this place in leadership um, in this organization because I'm a direct person. Because I tell it how it is. I drive people to results. And the whole point of the book is the statistics and, and also the, the research is done on why this is false. That those behaviors, those, I'll just call them jerk behaviors, those jerk behaviors actually hold the person back instead of moving them forward. And that they got to this point in their career or life despite uh, these behaviors in their life, not, certainly not because of them, but often they justify what they do because it's got me where I am. But the qualities of the fruit that we see described here aren't things that come naturally. You know, by ourselves, unaided by the Holy Spirit, we are unspiritual people. You know, by ourselves, sin is at the core, and we don't see these spiritual qualities develop up in us just by being true to ourselves. Now, there's another way that doesn't work to see fruit grow, and that's by just becoming merely more religious, by becoming merely more religious, by doing uh, all kinds of ceremonies, but not allow the spiritual work that God um, needs to do in our lives. Now, the whole book of Galatians, if you're to study it from uh, start to end, as we are doing in our evening services, uh, you would see that it's, it's an argument against this very kind of, of idea. In the early church, there was a group that we call the Judaizers, and they were people who believed that it's through the ceremonies that a person would be ultimately made right with God. Yes, you need to believe in Jesus. Yes, by uh, believing in Jesus, you know, that, that Jesus was the one who would forgive your sins. But, you know, you have to do this one thing. You have to be circumcised in order to really experience the forgiveness and the grace and the change of God. And so the whole book of Galatians is written to confront this idea. It's not the ceremonies. It's not this ceremony which makes you more spiritual. It's something else. There's a need of a life-changing work of God inside of you. And we can see that, especially as we come to verses 13 and 14. Because as the Apostle Paul writes this letter, he's been arguing against this sort of ceremonialism, this ritualism uh, throughout the book. And then he comes to verse 13 and then 14, and he shows what true spirituality looks like. Look at, look at verse 14. He says, for the whole law, you know, that's God's law. You know, how are we uh, find 
Acceptance with God, growth in God. How do we find those things? The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The main point he's driving home as he hits the section is the truly spiritual person loves God. His devotion to God is seen in the way that he loves others. Not just in a religious ceremony. And mere religious ceremonies by themselves, without faith, do not make us into more loving people. The false teachers um, said the law was given so they could do everything right. And the Apostle Paul is writing this to show the law was given to show us how we'd be more loving. What is it that pleases God? And so a person can come to church and come and be baptized and take the Lord's Supper and still not see fruit. And while all of those things are good, that without faith, they accomplish nothing. In fact, sometimes becoming more religious makes people worse. You might know someone like that. There's a self-righteousness that comes in, a resistance to change, and then they come in and perform certain rituals and do certain things, and they come out worse and more angry and more self-righteous and more stubborn in the end, missing out on the power of God that brings transformation, missing out on the power that changes hearts and makes a person more loving. So how do we get more love? How does that grow? That's where we need God to work in us. Again, not something external, not something formal, to work in us to will and to good according to his, to will and desire according to his good pleasure. Right? We're changed through our relationship with him. It's all about that connection. And you can see that as you look at verse 16. Because how does that fruit grow? Well, he shows us before, before he talks about the fruit, he says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. As you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. As you walk by the Spirit, as you'll go on to show, that's how fruit grows in our lives. Now, let's take a moment and just think about this idea of fruit. We'll just meditate on that. And it's called fruit because it's the result of God's work within our lives. You know, the comparison is clear that, that, uh, between this and a fruit-bearing plant. And why does a plant bear fruit? I mean, it's according to its nature, and it's according to the life that grows up within it, right? Ultimately, fruit grows as an expression of the life that it has in it. There's life in the plant, and as a result of that life, it, it wants to reproduce, right? It wants to reproduce itself, and by God's great kindness, that, that fruit is usually very yummy and very tasty, and we love to eat it, which helps the whole process go along for the plant. And so that fruit comes out of the life of the plant. It has to be sustained, yes, by water, by, by soil, by, by sunlight. Uh, without those things, the plant can't bear fruit, or it will die. But, you know, as it's nourished, again, the life within it shows itself um, in the bearing of, of fruit. In a similar way, our ability to bear fruit comes when we receive spiritual life that comes from God. It comes through our union with him. We're not the source of spiritual life in and of ourselves. It has to come from outside. It comes from our union with Jesus Christ. Galatians 5 doesn't just show us what the, what the fruit of the Spirit is. It shows us how to live a spiritually fruitful life. Verse 16, if you look at that again, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, 
For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. So there are things that you want to do. Things you want to be part of your life. I think those are the things that are listed in verses 22 and 23. And then there are things that we don't want to do. The qualities that come from the flesh. Now let's just pause again. Let's talk about what this idea of what this word flesh means. And flesh does not mean that our natural desires um, are necessarily wrong. That just because it's a physical desire that there's something bad in that. He's not saying the things your body needs or wants are necessarily wrong or that the physical things are bad. The flesh is a description of the sinful human nature that works against the design and laws of God. That the flesh is. It's that sinful human nature that rejects the design and the laws of God and it works against them. It takes in God's gifts, but it perverts them for sinful purposes. And as the passage points out, unless the Spirit of God is active in our lives, we will only indulge the flesh. And verse 17 gives this picture of that conflict that's within us, doesn't it? Two things that are opposed to one another. Battle over our hearts. Battle over our life. And there's that choice there. Do you walk in the Spirit or do you gratify fleshly desires? Unless there's some level of intentionality on our part, we will gratify those fleshly desires. Only by walking in the Spirit do we avoid that. This is important to think about fruit and the lack of fruit as actually being the lack of something happening in our lives. And it's important because we're so prone to think that, um, you know, maybe it's, it's something is interfering with our spiritual growth, with, our, with, with having these fruit, these qualities in our lives. I was thinking about Sherlock Holmes' book, um, Silver Blaze, recently. Sherlock Holmes, of course, being the, the Scotland Yard detective. And, you know, in it, we know, Scott, you know Sherlock Holmes is solving crimes by paying attention to the details um, and finding evidence. Well, in the Silver Blaze, one of his bits of evidence is actually something that was missing. It was something that wasn't there. The family dog did not bark at the time of the murder. And I showed him something there. There was something that was missing, and it revealed something that was true. In this case, that the murderer must have been very close to the dog, must have been very close to the family, so the dog didn't even think to bark. So that was the negative cue that tipped them off to solve the crime. Right? Now, in the same way, so often we look at the problems in our lives, and we're just thinking about, you know, what is the influence that caused me to do something instead of thinking about what's missing in my life that would lead me to do that? So we might think of maybe our emotions as a good influence for us to do something, right? We'd think, the kids were loud, and so I shouted, or I felt lonely, so I looked at pornography. I was bored, so I spent too much money. I was afraid that I'd get in trouble. And so I lied, right? I've been restless, so I spent all night looking at social media. I mean, the, the, the passage challenges us to notice what's missing in our lives. You know, to see uh, that many of our sins is the result of us missing the influence of the Holy Spirit. When we are going to have trials, those trials are unavoidable. Whether they're external to us or whether they're uh, feelings that we feel within 
what we need is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit to walk with us and guide us through those things that happen. When we don't walk by the Spirit, we're not able to produce that fruit as hard as we might try. And that's because we're missing the key element in seeing that fruit grow. And we're missing the life, right? We're missing the life that he gives. Now, again, I don't want to be overly simplistic, but, you know, let's think, what does the Holy Spirit do? What's the role of the Holy Spirit inside of our life? The Holy Spirit is the third person in the Trinity. You know, um, the, he, is, he is, you know, the, 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 the personal power of God who is at work in us. He comes to dwell in us, and he comes to speak with us. He comes to lead us. He, he brings God's word to bear in our lives. And he calls us to the personal presence of God and, 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 and walking with him in fellowship. And so as, as, the whole, as we walk by the Spirit, what it's saying is that we're letting our lives be influenced by the Holy Spirit. So as we read the Word, as we read the Bible, you know, that the words of God, you know, not only do we read them intellectually, but they actually pierce into our soul by the work of the Holy Spirit, calling us to obedience and faith. We pray, you know, we interact with the Holy Spirit as, as, we, as we obey. You know, we, we're strengthened by the Holy Spirit. We let that, the truth of God influence us away from the false promises of the world. You know, those are some of the ways that we walk by the Spirit. But you know what people do when they don't want to live that spiritual kind of life and to really open themselves up to uh, walking by the Spirit wherever he leads, wherever he calls, is they do it by maybe what um, Paul Tripp calls fruit stapling. He calls it fruit stapling. And it's, that's kind of pretending to do something spiritual so that we might look good or feel good. Now, fruit stapling has this idea of, of like, imagine that in your backyard you have an apple tree, and the apple tree is diseased and it's not really producing any fruit. And your spouse says to you, you know, I'd really like to see some, some fruit on that apple tree. You know, I'm sad that it's not there. I want some fruit. I want some apples. And so you, being a dutiful spouse, you say, you know what, I can do something about that. And so you get your ladder, and you get a, bush, you know, a bushel full of apples, and you get a staple gun, and you go out into the backyard, and you start pulling down those branches and stapling on those, those apples onto that apple tree. And you go back, and you're so proud of yourself. Look what I did, honey. There is an apple tree now that has apples. Well, now, obviously, you know, that's not real fruit, is it? You know, that fruit's just going to rot. It's not going to produce any more. And yet, that's so often what we try to do. We try to tack on these spiritual things rather than letting through a, a relationship with God, through the Holy Spirit, him change our lives. It's how many of us live. And so we add on religious practices here and there, start going to church, maybe reading the Bible, maybe being baptized, maybe saying they're sorry and they're promised to never do it again, but just doing to check the box rather than saying, you know, what the word of God says for me to believe and to do, I'm really going to trust in that. I'm really going to trust in that with my life, with my actions. He alone can bring the power that we need to glorify God in our lives. If you want fruit, you need to walk by the Spirit. It comes from God and God alone. Jesus talks about this in, in John chapter 15. So if you would turn your Bible to John chapter 15. And Jesus talks about it 
He uses a little bit different words, but it's also really helpful to see the different words that he uses. And in John chapter 15, he talks about vine, and he talks about branches. Vine and branches. And he gives such an important parallel for the things we see in Galatians 5. So look at uh, John 15, starting in verse 5. These are the words of Jesus. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Looking at verse 5, what does he say? Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. How were his disciples to see that they would bear fruit in service to God and the things they do, the character they would take on? They needed to abide in him. It's a good reminder to us that God was very much concerned, not just with the, 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 the um, gifts of the Spirit, what are the, the great deeds that we might do for him, but it's also the fruit of the Spirit. What's that character? What's that life? What are those qualities which would describe our lives as a response of our faith in him? God cares about that fruit and seeing that to grow. And the thing that Jesus points out here in talk about abiding is the need to stay connected with him by faith. And as they stay connected with him, just as the um, life flows through that vine into the branches, so through Christ will we find life in him. And so you see two terms that are very similar, right? Abiding in Christ is walking in the spirit, walking by the spirit. And walking by the spirit is abiding to Christ. That's because that's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit connects us with Christ's work. He draws us into Christ's work in our union with Christ. Now, verse 24 then goes on to explain how we walk by the spirit and not gratify the flesh. So go back to Galatians, Galatians 5, verse 24 And look what he says there. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. The image that I get here in my head when I look at it is like hanging up a robe on a hook, um, you know, once you're done with it in the morning, right? And you get this picture of like, you know what, I am done with the flesh. I'm done with this being the dominant force in my life. I no longer want the sinful nature to control and lead me. I don't want to go by its habits and its patterns. And so it's been crucified. It's been hung up on there, on that hook, on the cross. It's done. As Christ died on the cross, so my flesh was crucified with it. I'm done with that. And then verse 25, after that being happened, he says, okay, if this is true, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. You know, so we see in those two things the importance of repentance and faith, right? Repentance, you know, that the the body of flesh is is done away with hating sin. And we really need to hate sin, not just to dislike it or be uncomfortable with it, certainly not to coddle it like a little puppy or even to tolerate it as a mere weakness. There's a, you know, the Bible's calling us to hate our sin. It's an affront to God. It hurts the people around us. It degrades us, and we hate it. It leads us into prayer 
like in the song, Love Divine, All Loves Excelling, where we say, take away the love of sinning. And that our prayer, take away the love of sinning. Alpha and Omega B, end of faith as its beginning. Set our hearts at liberty. But equal to our hating sin, we need to love Jesus. To love his victory over sin. To love the fact that he not only forgave us in his death over sin, but in his life he lives for us. He's given us his Holy Spirit to turn away from sin and to be in the presence of God. We walk in a new pattern of life, putting away the old uh, patterns of sin in our life. That, that old way, it just brings death. But the way of Christ and the Spirit brings life. We stay in step with the Spirit. Anybody here wear a Fitbit? I wear a Fitbit. Some of you have maybe even been in a Fitbit competition. Maybe you've been in a Fitbit competition. That means like you make a friend using your Fitbit app, and then it counts the number of steps you do and the number of steps they do, and whoever gets the most steps win. And I try to get 8,000 steps a day. I mean, i got to work for that. Some of you, I know you're getting like 15,000, 12,000, 15,000 steps a day. I've been in competition with you so much that I don't ever do that anymore because I always, because I always lose. Um, but, you know, it's hard to keep in step with that sometimes. Or maybe you've been on a walk with someone and you're like, man, they walk so fast. I've got to keep up with them. Or maybe you walk with someone and they walk slower. And you say, you know what? They're a little slower. I need to walk with them. I need to stay in step with them. I mean, these give us images of staying in step with the Spirit. What does it mean to stay in step with the Spirit? I have a few things that I was thinking about as a way to apply that. The first thing in staying in step with the Spirit means we confess our sin as we become aware of it. You know, what we do in our worship services is we confess our sin is an example for us to follow in life. As we become aware from God or from others that we've sinned against them, you know, something we need to take ownership of. Confess it. Bring it to the light. You know, sin is, is that is a blockage to communion with, with God. And, and God is happy to remove those things, but we need to be honest and find forgiveness and grace in him as we confess our sins as they're brought up to them. Let's be honest. Honest with ourselves. Honest with God. Honest with others when we sin. So we confess our sins. Secondly, we stay in step with the Spirit when we read the Bible. Psalm 19.11 says that we hide his word in our hearts so that we would not sin. I mean, the Bible says that, that uh, where this, you know, the Bible tells us where the Spirit is going. And so as, as we read it, we walk in those paths of righteousness, we, we do it to walk with him, to keep in step with him. You know, we need to have faith as we read it. We need to, to apply what it says, you know, but you know, certainly reading the Scripture is important for us in keeping in step with the Spirit. Staying in step with the Spirit also means part, be part of the church of Christ. You know, where is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit dwells with his church. The Bible reminds us over and over that we are his temple. He's present in the gathering. He's present in his work. Um, he's, the Holy Spirit is present in the church. And we can't think that we would stay in step with the Spirit when we're away from the church, not involved in its life or its habits, or walking contrary to it. Involvement with the church. Uh, fourth, staying in step with the Spirit means committing to good doctrine. You know, we can't think that we stay in step with the Spirit if we're given in to superstition, legalism, other false doctrines that are contrary to God's Word. Jesus said the truth is what sets us free. The Holy Spirit has given us the truth of God's Word. He's present in the truth. It's critical that we walk with Him in this. 
And fifthly, and most of all, we stay in step with the Spirit as we love. You know, notice, as, you, as we read through the fruit of the Spirit, what's the first one? It's no accident of this first. I mean, love is the first of the fruit of the Spirit. We already saw that love is the fulfillment of the law. The Holy Spirit dwells in constant loving fellowship with the Godhead. And if you want to stay in step with the Spirit, you need to stay in his love and to work and to walk in the way of love. You know, we'll have more on that next week as we talk about that first fruit. But, you know, this is the kind of obedience that delights God, the obedience of love, love of neighbor and love of him. So thorns are fruit. Thorns drive people away. Thorns separate us from God. Fruit is attractive. It's pleasing to God. It's satisfying. Where fruit is present, we experience better lives. But ultimately, we please God in that. And so there's a time of self-examination in it, but also encouragement. Self-examination, we see, you know, yeah, what is showing up in my life? And what are some things that, that I'm realizing are problems for me? And I want to walk with the Spirit. But also encouraging, because we know of God's commitment to do this work in us. That's a change that can be part of our lives. But we always remember this. It starts with being filled. Qualities don't come from getting our lives together. They don't come from protecting ourselves from problems. They come by being with God. They come by grace. They come by him letting, by, you, by his, his work within your life. From walking with the Spirit, keeping in step with him, abiding in Christ. It starts with him. And we enter into that by faith. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we want you to do a work of change in our lives. We want the fruit to be a part of our lives. Father, we know that we're not going to get there through uh, being ourselves or religiosity or rituals. Father, but only by your grace. And so we ask that you would show that greater power that your Holy Spirit brings to give us a new heart, to lead us in a new habit, to bear fruit for your glory, to do good for others. Father, and even for our own joy, Lord, would you fill us? Would you keep us? Would you strip away every competing idol of our hearts? God, give us a heart for Jesus and his work within us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's stand together. It's, it, we're going to come to the Lord's table. I invite our